if you think it through, there's, there's no more challenging environment to lead well on these things than in a volunteer organization, which is what the church is. Why? Because if, if in a business context, you want to motivate people, you do have options, don't you? <laughs> you know what I mean? There are options, because there is something called redundancy, and there is something called a salary, and if you want it, you know, this is the category of motivation that you can draw on. Now, I think it's fair to say, businesses that we want to be part of and businesses that we respect don't do that, or at least it's a last resort, maybe it's fairer, but nevertheless, you have got something else to fall back on, haven't you? There is a reason why we turn up for work, and it was the first one on our list. Yeah? That is never a reason that we've got for turning up for church, is it? It's not going to pay the bills. Amen? <laughs> Far from it. We turn up, and we pay the bills. <laughs> so is, on a serious point, is that... Is that not all the more reason why, if we want to lead well in a volunteer context, we have to be good at the why questions? Because we've got to get high levels of motivation here, because there's nothing coming from here. You know, your rewards in heaven is one of those cheap things we say in church. But fair play, it is drawing on a bit of an inheritance thing that's coming your way. But for now, we can't pay you except in an incredible sense of serving something of great significance. Um, but it never ceases to amaze me, the level of sacrifice, of commitment. I'm sure you feel this here. Aren't there some people who just think, it's amazing what they do. For nothing, far from it. It costs them to do it. And yet there's this desire to serve the Lord and to see his kingdom come and to build his, his church and to help people uh, see their lives change that gives an energy. The batteries, you know, how many batteries does that give? Well, you know. Hopefully tomorrow morning we've got a thousand batteries, like my kids, um, for, for what we're doing. So we're looking then, continuing to look at these why questions. And um, just moving on, if you click on to the next slide, I want to just uh, look at, or a couple of slides on maybe, I want to just look at the question of, just the importance of vocation. We've kind of summarized this, but let me, if you go to the importance of vocation, um, Wayne, and uh, I just want to summarize it a little bit more clearly than we already have. Without vocation, in other words, if you take this out of a situation, so there isn't a clear sense of, no, yeah, there we go. If you take it out of a, a situation, so people don't really know why they're doing what they're doing, they just know there's a load of what stuff to do. Firstly, um, we are very vulnerable to comparing or competing. And um, is this not more of a problem than ever in our contemporary context of church, because from your own home, you can watch the world online do church, can't you? And so one of the things that's happening is bloggers um, and lazy bums <laughs> are sitting around watching all the other churches in the world show the very best that they do online, and then they're bringing all of the global into the local church and expressing their frustrations with it. Is this not what happens? Why does my pastor not preach like Tim Keller? Or... You know, why is our worship not like, you know, Hillsong or whatever it might be? And, and what's happening is we're comparing and we're competing with other people's vocations. They're doing a fantastic job, but that's not what this local church is called to do. But if we are not clear about the sense of vocation that we have, we will be very easily led into the trap of comparing and competing. And it's very, very destructive. It's very, very depressing for any local church 
They just have people who are always looking out into the world, um, looking to the other side of the pond for what they want church to be like. It, it doesn't do anyone any favours. Now, learn from other people. Learn from other, uh, other situations. But don't copy it. Don't even want to copy it. Why? Because that's not God's call. That's not the vocation that he's given to Forest Town Church, yeah? So learn from everything else. But, you know, a, a copying is not a calling, is it? And so I just encourage us not to allow that comparing and competing. And how do we stop that? Well, by getting more of a sense of what God is putting in front of us. You know that, you know that language of Wilberforce? God has put before me these two great things. Now the point is, once that is clear... It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing, because that's not what's put before me, before us, before this church. Do you see what I'm saying? Vocation saves us from comparing and competing, because God bless the vocation of Tim Keller. God bless the vocation of Hillsong, but that's not for us. This is what God's put. There's no need to compare and compete. We can bless and benefit from all the other positives without actually needing to be distracted by them. So if we have a clear sense of vocation, It sets the compass bearing for where we are to go and saves us from just drifting on every latest current or trend or place where it's meant to be happening and just getting sidetracked and distracted from what God's called us to do. You know, it's great that stuff's happening in California or Chicago or Cumbran now is the latest. Isn't that amazing that God is even still doing things in Wales? I think that's remarkable. But... (laughs) But um, great though those things are. What's our vocation? And that saves us from drifting as well, from drifting around, chasing other ideas, being prone to fadism, you know, where where just the latest fad is the latest thing that everyone, you know, lurching around all over the place. A steady hand on the tiller that says, no, we've set our direction towards what God's called us to do. We'll learn from others, but this is the thing. It actually brings a unity. We'll look more at that. Um, next time. So without vocation, we're prone to those negatives. But with vocation, we find that we receive a unity, a focus, and a devotion that nothing else can give. A unity, a focus, and a devotion. When a group of God's people in the same place feel the same holy vocation, what that does, the level of unity, the level of comradeship, the level of loyalty to each other, I mean, these are things that consumers will never know. Amen? Consumer Christians, they'll never know the depth that you can experience when you're in a vocation with a team. Jumping around from one church to another, from one latest thing to another, it's so dissatisfying. Like people who jump in and out of one relationship and one bed after another. No, no, no. One lifelong, lasting relationship is the key to a joyful union between a man and a woman. That level of team in some mysterious way, is also to be experienced in different ways in the way that we are loyally joined together for one holy vocation as a people. It brings a unity and a focus and a passion that nothing else can match. And I want you to notice this uh, last bit. If you click on... Wait, I want you to notice that the rubble and the rabble are now transformed. See, this is what vocation can do. When we get a passion, a motivation, when we understand God's call... Things are transformed. And, and this really struck me. I was reflecting on this only, only again, in my sleepless um, preparation time last night. <laughs> I got a lot done last night. Um, <laughs> I was reflecting on this, that 
you know, um, when you when you say um, what, 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 what's going to happen is Nehemiah is going to go back to Jerusalem, and in 52 days, 52 days, nothing short of a miracle, the walls of the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Now, when you look at the before and the after and say what made the difference, the interesting thing is actually there's nothing missing from the picture before they did it or after they did it. What do I mean? I mean, all the raw materials were there. It's just that they saw it as just rubble. (laughs) And all the incredible team was there. It's just it looked like a rabble. And Nehemiah already had the influence of the king. It's just that to him it was only a job. (laughs) So all the stuff necessary to see a whole city transformed was already sitting there. Why was it not being used? Because they just didn't have the vocation. You see, vocation changes everything. We've already got what we need in terms of stuff. There, There is not a lack of people in this room. There is not a lack of people in this church for what God wants to do through it. There's not a lack. We've got what we need. They already, he already had the ear of the king. They already had the raw materials. They already had a, an amazing team. Nothing new is going to be added into the picture to get the job done. The only thing that's going to come into the picture is a sense of vocation. Isn't that extraordinary? All that was lacking was the motivation and the inspiration of God's call. When that came into the room, they realized, actually, what we thought of as rubble is raw material. (laughs) We could build a city with this. And what we thought of as a rabble is an amazing team. We could do the job with this. And what I thought of as a job, Nehemiah says, is actually an opportunity (laughs) to get the king to bring wood and protection and supplies. We've got everything we need. All they needed was not more money, was not more people. They just needed a sense of vocation. God's call, God's clarity was enough. Now, I know that's easy to see for Nehemiah. I saw it last night, but it's harder to see for us, isn't it? Because we're convinced that we can't really do the big stuff that we want to see happen with the money that we've got. Do you know what I'm saying? We always think, actually, we could do amazing things if we just had another 50 people to do it. (laughs) We always think that what's missing from the, the room is stuff, people, resources. And actually, I want to say, no, Forest Town Church, God has given you the stuff that you need to do the job. And if we can all step up to inspire new levels of motivation under the question of why we do what we do, we'd be amazed at what we've already got in this church and what we've already got in this room. Can we believe for that? It's all, it's all here. They're all here. Everything's ready. <laughs> it was always like that in the city of Jerusalem. Everything was ready for it to be rebuilt. The only thing missing was the motivation, the sense of why we do what we do. So stepping up in these areas um, actually is the key for Nehemiah to everything. Now with all of that in mind, just uh, on to the next slide, and I want to lead us into a bit of discussion time. Um, that's getting a bit more specific to FTC. And Anne was just mentioning that perhaps some of us were asking another good question, which is, how do we get through to a place of, um, of clarity about vocation? You know, um, maybe we see some general things, you know. How do we get through to a place of seeing more specific things? And I'm sure that's a bigger question than, than we can answer. But like I said, I'm just here to ask good questions, and you're already doing that. So 
I'll leave you to work out the answers. But here's a, here's a few thoughts, and I think the, the thing I wanted to say on this is that there's a corporate vocation, and then there's an individual vocation. And we need to understand how they relate to each other. See, corporate vocation answers questions like, why are we together here now? Not, not as I say, looking out at the rest of the, of the Christian church in the, all across the world, but this church. Why has God brought us as a team? What has the Lord gathered us for? And the answers to this will always, I think, be a combination of promises in Scripture and prophecies by the Spirit. Now, in terms of the relationship between the two, I wonder sometimes whether it's when we get going with the first that God gives more of the second, which further enhances the first, which brings more of the second. In other words, these two interact. That there's enough in Scripture for us to be getting on with, isn't there? You know, I I think someone said, go and make disciples of all nations. Isn't that right? Did you hear him say that? Well, that's a bit to be getting on with, isn't it? And um, so let's get that one done, and then... (laughs) You know, so, so there's enough in Scripture to give the general for every church. And then I think at the same time, and, and um, the picture that will come up on the screen, not, not yet, um, but in a moment, is of two hands um, on, a, on a camera lens. You know, um, there's that fine focus, isn't there? You know what I'm saying? There's the, there's the wide and, and, and the... No, I don't really understand cameras, but there's two focuses anyway, surely... There's a focus that's, that's just getting it roughly right, and then there's the fine focus. Now, I think Scripture brings the, the roughly focus for ev- rough focus for every church. And then the Holy Spirit brings that fine focusing, that fine tuning of, and this is exactly how these general principles and promises are to be worked out in this location at this time for this people. And I don't doubt that actually... Again, if, we, if, we, if we've listened and if we've, if we've note, taken notes, probably we are more aware than we realize of both for Forest Town Church. Sometimes it's that we need to call forth, call to mind the things that God said and unite them with the general truths of Scripture and we have in those things a sense of corporate vocation, which is what we're going to do in our groups now. Before we do that, though, I just want to say that individual vocation then Again, I'm talking particularly about the church context. Within the church context, individual vocation must find its place within the corporate vocation. Because we're a body, aren't we? And any part, any body part on its own is odd. Would you not agree? If you walked in and just seen a finger on the floor, you think that's not normal. <laughs> or a foot by the counter. You know, any part on trying to find its way on its own <laughs> is odd to us, isn't it? And yet so often as Christians, riddled with the individualism of our culture and fueled by the prize of sin, we try and find our vocations on our own. We want to do our thing our way and for our glory. And it's like a foot lying by the counter on its own. It's that out of place. You know, the foot belongs to the body. It finds its location, its meaning within the whole. So find out what the corporate vocation is, and you might do a better job of finding out then what your individual vocation is, because it will find its place within the corporate. The part will make sense in the body. And Nehemiah then, he only gets his vocation in relationship to Jerusalem, the corporate vocation. He, he, his individual vocation makes no sense 
unless there's a corporate picture. You see what I'm saying? You can only make sense of what God's calling him to do because of what Jerusalem, the people of God, corporately needs. So if you click on, um, you'll see this uh, with, with um, the individual vocation. That, then we can ask the question, how am I gifted and anointed to serve the body? What is God's call on me for the good of the body? You know, the individual questions find their place within the corporate vocation. Amen? This is the language of Peter where he says, he speaks about the grace given to me for you. Notice that language. I've been given a grace gift, but it's not given to me for me. It's given to me for you, the corporate. Nehemiah was given an incredible gift and anointing of leadership, but it was given to him for Jerusalem. And that's always the way. Whatever's been given to us has been given to us for FTC and the vocation that God has for this church. So I'm sure you, you uh, would perhaps be able to say a few things on that, because now we're homing in, now we're focusing in on FTC. So if you click on the next slide, you'll see a, few, a couple of questions, and there's those hands on the camera. What should be the general vocation of every church? Which scriptures sum up our mandate and mission? That, that question could be answered, and you could be sitting in any church in the Christian world. Surely there's some stuff that's just true for all. Great commission, etc. But then, so, so maybe a few words on that in groups, but then in particular, what prophecies has God spoken that give FTC her specific vocation? There we're on the fine-tuning of the lens. So what are we seeing this look like for this church and for our context of mission? If you could pass all of that to, to um, round to this end and round to this end, then Anton Helen could just kind of end up with that stuff, so send them... Send them around that way, and um, I hope that's just a little bit of like it's like taking a thermometer, isn't it, of of uh, the church and how we're feeling, and seeking to gauge that in terms of a thermometer reading for this why question, levels of motivation and energy for the clarity about why we do what we do. Um, hopefully, that'll be a helpful little little reading, little gauge. So we've got just just under half an hour left. I want to use that to just home in a little bit more on, um, sorry, to give the big picture and then home in a little bit on chapter one with Nehemiah, um, just to kind of bring together the things we've said and um, lead us to a point of prayer as we finish. And when it comes to the big picture, I just want to show us um, in the big picture what high levels of vocation, motivation, these things, what they can what they can bring. What I mean by that is if you, if you see chapter one as, if you like, the fountain something rising up in Nehemiah of God's call and vocation and a sense of being broken by the, the needs and the, the sense that this must change. Chapter 1 is, is the fountain being turned on. The overflow of that fountain goes right through the next few chapters, and this is just rushing through what we'll then return to in, in the next sessions before. So this is wide-angle camera, and then we'll just zoom in on chapter 1. So the wide-angle, if you click onto that slide... Um, Wayne, there should be one there, uh, with the overflow of vocation. The, the wide angle is that, firstly, deep devotion. Chapter 1 is a, is a chapter of deep devotion, that when people are gripped by the need and the call of God, unusual, extraordinary levels of devotion will arise. In this case, how is that expressed for Nehemiah? How does he express his deep devotion? 
Fasting and praying. Weeping. And then ultimately... Yeah, exactly. Sacrificing his security, his identity, everything. Handing in his notice, basically, doesn't he? He says, I've got something else now that I've got to do. Deep devotion. Deep devotion. He also expresses it in his thinking and his planning and working out how we're going to do it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Strategy, vision, we'll come to that next time. Absolutely right. But in the heart level, deep devotion. Chapter 2 is um, then out of that, unusual favour. Unusual favour. He could have lost his head for the approach he makes to the king. And so he writes, this is like his private journal that we're reading. And just look at um, 2 verse 4, sorry, verse 3. I was very much afraid. (laughs) You know, he is shaking as he goes to the king. 2 verse 4, Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king. He's fear and trembling. He's praying as he says, I don't mean mean to appear rude, but is there any chance that you'd let me go? And then, um, as well as the favor that he experiences with the king, he then experiences favor with the people back in Jerusalem. He then makes this journey to a people that are used to sitting in rubble and just surrender to the fact it will always be like this, He's this outsider who comes in to lead change. Now, you could imagine that they would say what? <laughs> who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> you come in here, you think you know it all. We've been here for years. It's always been like this. It won't change. No, instead, 2 verse um, 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and that the king and what the king had said to me. Listen to their reply, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Unusual favour. The king says, yes, you can have it and everything else that you want. The people say, yes, we can do this. (laughs) You know, the Lord, when we step out into a holy vocation, he has got us covered. You know, I know it's scary. I know we're going to make those trembling phone calls or emails or seeing the... Whatever it is, there's trembling moments, but he's got us covered. I I remember um, a great friend called Francois, who leads a big... Uh, big church in um, some, of, some of your neck of the woods uh, in Pretoria, Hatfield. And Francois, when he's, he was, uh, used to say um, a little phrase, when God orders the pizza, he pays for the pizza. <laughs> um, when we order the pizza, we pay for the pizza. I know it's not a profound statement for, to quote someone from all the other side of the world, but I'm scratching around to think of something significant that a South African has said. That's what it is, you see. And that, and that, was, all I, that was all I could come up with. Now, I, I think it's a brilliant phrase because... <laughs> I think it's a brilliant phrase. He's a brilliant friend because his point is simple. If God said to do this, it, he, you know, he, he placed the order, didn't he? So he's, he's, whoever orders it pays for it. And unusual favor. And then thirdly, as you've seen, a dynamic team. As we've said, this pile of rubble And this rabble are transformed into a dynamic team. Why? Because vocations just entered the room. (laughs) A sense of holy calling has just come into the place, and there's a whole new energy and reason for living. People who previously had resigned themselves, it would always be this way, they are now working overtime. I mean, 
this team is so highly motivated, it's extraordinary. I, ideas of, do I get holiday allowance? You know, will I get paid for overtime? Uh, <laughs> what's the personal development program with this position? You know, these are volunteers. They're in the vocation category. The whole, those, those terms have become meaningless. Now they're just saying, but the Lord's called us to do it. You know, one guy and his family, they repair the dung gate. <laughs> now, you've got to be pretty highly motivated to get a, vo- a volunteer to repair the dung gates, haven't you? Because, you know, think about what that name says. That's not a particularly pleasant place to work. But he does it, and it says, and he also repaired the 500 yards leading up to the dung gate. The dung gate wasn't enough. I'll do the other 500 yards as well. Where's this coming from? It's the, it's the level of energy that a sense of vocation brings. Why we do what we do? We're building this for the Lord. Well, then I'll do the other 500 meters as well. And as well as um, dynamic team, if you click on another couple, along comes satanic opposition. (laughs) You know, um, it's not all easy, is it? I don't want to pretend that Nehemiah had it easy at all. We're going to look at this. Um, I don't know if you remember at school where, going back to my school days, every so often someone found it funny to take a little note and use a little peg and clip it to your blazer or whatever that says, kick me. Have you ever had that? And, you, and, you, and you're walking around wondering, why are just random people coming up and kicking me? <laughs> and then you realize, oh, right, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a target. Nehemiah just has seemingly random people coming up and kicking at him <laughs> relentlessly through these next few chapters. One after another, he's become a target because he's a man with a vocation. A man or a woman, a church with a real vocation will become a target. And we need to be aware of that. But pressing through all of that is um, great victory. You know, if you bring together a sense of vocation with vision, we know why we're doing what we're doing, we know what it is that we're doing, and values, we know how we'll do it. The whole thing leads to extraordinary victory. Look at chapter um, 6 and verse verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Tremendous victory. All of this, I believe, is the overflow of chapter 1, vocation. So just to finish, let's zoom in. That's the wide angle. That's what vocation brings, the big picture. Let's just zoom in specifically on chapter 1, we've already read it, I just want to highlight three things that, if you like, are three areas that that we can step up in from today. If all all leaders step up in these three areas um, from today, it will bring a a rising up for the whole congregation, as we've said earlier. And uh, so if you click on to the next slide, here are the things that we particularly see in uh, chapter 1. Um, the first thing is a sense, as I think you've got this actually on your handout, so we're just uh, coming into the home straight, a sense of sober reflection. Verse 1 to 4, something's landed on Nehemiah's desk that makes him go quiet. You ever had those moments where a piece of news, uh, a sense of seeing how things really are, and it's sobering. It brings sober reflection to Nehemiah sobering even to the point, as we've said, of tears, this man has just been given an insight into something that moves the heart of God, and now his heart is moved. All triviality, all 
superficial stuff is strangely silenced by the significance of what he's seen. You know, when we, when we experience a holy vocation, something from the Lord, it's really, I think, just that God opens our eyes to see what he sees. And that is something that silences us, isn't it? All other co- concerns, all other things seem relatively trivial compared to what we now have realized, what we've now seen. If God would give us just a, a drop of his tears for the lost, we'd all become evangelists. <laughs> if we could just see it as he sees it. If he gave us one of his tears for the poor, we'd all dive into social action. If we could just see what he sees. If he gave one tear for the way that false teaching corrupts people's lives, we'd all become teachers and theologians. You you see the point? If we could just see what he sees. And sober reflection, a sense that the room's gone quiet because of the weightiness of what lies before us. You know, we're not mucking about here, are we? We're not playing games. This isn't, we're not playing church. Heaven and hell is at stake in this stuff. You know? This really matters. We're not, we're not just a little club that have found some interesting things to do together. We're not just having fun. The, the difference that some of these things represent is as black and white as heaven and hell. It really is. It's the difference between hope and despair, life and death. And when this kind of significance lands on our plates, it brings a sober reflection. To to Nehemiah's mind, so what am I living for then? You know, all, all things that seemed important seem strangely redundant now in the light of this. Amen? This isn't just fun and games. We're not, we're, this is not a dress rehearsal. We're not playing at this. This really matters. Our response to this stuff will matter for eternity. And as that dawns on us, it's sober reflection. I, I pray out of this that, that that would be one area that we step up, is just in that awareness of how significant these things are. We're not playing games here. This is really, really important, and that is an understatement. And that sober reflection leads to serious prayer, doesn't it? I say serious prayer because there's praying and then there's really praying, isn't there? And sometimes I think the reason that we don't pray enough is that we almost feel like we don't have a lot to pray about. (laughs) What I mean by that is, unless a crisis comes along, so often if we are living our lives relatively unaware of this serious vocation, unless a crisis comes along, Prayer is relatively in the background. But when a vocation comes along, we've just found a whole new thing to pray about. <laughs> for days, for, you know, for, with fasting, there's a seriousness now to this kind of praying. Those who've, who've got that sense of calling will regularly be found on their knees because the urgency, the, the passion, the sense that this must change will be overwhelming. Are we praying, folks? You know, if if we stepped up in this area, what a difference that could make. If we stepped up by kneeling down, you know, if we stepped up by kneeling down, what a difference that could make. Let's not wait for the crises before we become people with serious prayer characterizing our leadership because serious stuff is at stake. I remember um, chatting to a a Chinese student quite uh, recently and um, 
they were in the UK, but their background was, they, they, their family were in China, and they were part of the underground church, you know, in China, where, you know, those guys, they know, they know what, uh, I mean, in a way that I don't know, they know what they're talking about. <laughs> and I chatted to, um, to this, this guy, and it was all very polite, and he was being very polite and nice. And I asked the question, I said, so, you know, you've been in the UK a little while now, what do you make of the Western church compared to what you've experienced? I was quite intrigued, you know, what, what is this like? And, um, and he was just very nice, you know, he just, oh, it's, yes, it's lovely, it's, I like it, it's very good, I like the music. And I just, I just knew he was kind of not telling me what he really thought. So I said, no, come on, you know, what, what do you really, what, what, what really strikes you about the church in the West? And he just, um, he went very quiet, and then he just, um, and he paused, and then he just shook his head, and he said, um, you, you don't pray. You know, and then, and then he said it again, you, you don't pray. And, and as he said it, you could hear the sense of almost that he couldn't understand it. You know, you, you don't pray. That's what had struck him. <laughs> you know, these guys with their holy vocation and all of the challenges that they face, you know, they know they've got some stuff to pray about. But in comparison, you know, you, you don't pray. And I felt like Jesus was speaking to me when he said that to me. <laughs> You know, sometimes you have those moments where in that voice, I just heard the Lord's voice challenging me to realize actually prayerfulness. You know, this holy vocation leads us to be on our knees. We step up in that. And then thirdly, um, risky, significant risks. Thirdly, significant risks. All of this leads Nehemiah out of the comfort zone and into the risk zone in order that he might fulfill the vocation. Now, as we've said, it doesn't always mean this at all, but in his case, it meant quitting his job in order to take up his vocation. He possessed the job, now he is possessed by a vocation. <laughs> and that changes everything. The whole of his life is now rearranged around what God has called him to do. Whereas previously he was his own darling object, to quote William Wilberforce, now all of his resources will be for the sake and the cause of God's um, kingdom. You know, um, you know Copernicus um, had the revolution, didn't he? You know, the Copernican revolution? And his revolution was that he came up with an idea, contrary to everyone else, that instead of thinking that the earth is the center of the universe and the sun and everything else revolve around us, you know, he had this idea, what if it's heliocentric? You know, what if actually the sun is the center, at least of our little section of the universe, and we orbit around the sun? You know, people struggled to come to terms with that for centuries because it was such a radical thought. You mean everything doesn't revolve around us? <laughs> we like to think of it that way, don't we? And, and this is Nehemiah's Copernican revolution, isn't it? You know, it's possible to be a Christian and still to need a Copernican revolution. Would you agree? It's possible to be a Christian, but still to think that Jesus and everything else roughly orbit around us. You know, he is there to help me get what I want. That's why we pray, isn't it? Because <laughs> we need stuff. And this is a Copernican revolution. No, 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 it's not that everything orbits around me, but that I and everything that I am will orbit around the Lord. I will rearrange my whole universe that his cause may be the center. My job, 
My money, my time, everything, my family, together we will serve the Lord. And everything that we have will be brought to revolve around that one great cause of his kingdom and his glory. This is Nehemiah, and this is what changes the rubble and the rabble into a glorious city again. Amen? So we land as we conclude, simply by returning to this question, then why do we do what we do? And um, the, the need to see our vocation, to see it corporately and how individually we serve that corporate vocation. And I think it would be good to, um, given all that we've said, to pray. Do you not agree? So shall we stand together? And um, as we stand in the Lord's presence, let's just uh, lift our hearts to the Lord. Serious prayer is the response of those who've seen the need, who've heard the call, and who know, Lord, this, for your glory and the good of the people, this must change. And so, Father, we lift our hearts to you in prayer now. We thank you, holy God, that you have taken hold of us and you have made us a people and you have joined us together in Christ. This is the body of Christ, the place where every part makes sense in the whole. And Lord, as we spend just a few moments now in prayer, I pray that you would rekindle passion I pray, Lord, that where you have given gifts and spoken prophecies, that as we pray now, you would fan into flames those things that have been placed in us. Stir it up now, Lord, I pray, that that, that, that question, why we do what we do, I pray, Lord, that the batteries would be charged right back up now as we pray. I pray, Lord, that the atmosphere of this church, that the program not changing, but the atmosphere, Lord, may there be a change for the good that we might go to another level of energy, of devotion, of passion, because of you giving us a fresh sense of a holy vocation. This is not a job. Lord, this is not a job. This is a vocation. So with all of that in mind, just, let's just one after another uh, lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer and seek him for the things we've looked at today.